0: part twenty-one of wisdom. So we're delving into Proverbs twenty-three today. And we're going to read the text. Okay. While dining with a ruler, pay attention to what is put before you. If you are a big eater, put a knife to your throat. Don't desire all the delicacies, for he might be trying to trick you. Don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. Be wise enough to know when to quit. So there's a time to quit. In the blink of an eye, wealth disappears. For it to sprout wings and fly away like an eagle. Don't eat with people who are stingy. Don't desire their delicacies. They are always thinking about how much it costs. Eat and drink, they say, but they don't mean it. You will throw up what little you've eaten and your compliments will be wasted. Don't waste your breath on fools for they will despise the wisest advice. Don't cheat your neighbor by moving the ancient boundary markers. Don't take the land of defenseless orphans for their Redeemer is strong. He himself will bring their charges against you. Commit yourself to instruction. Listen carefully to words of knowledge. Don't fail to discipline your children. The rod of punishment won't kill them. Physical discipline may well save them from death. My child, if your heart is wise, my own heart will rejoice. Everything in me will celebrate when you speak what is right. Don't envy sinners. But always continue to fear the Lord. You will be rewarded for this. Your hope will not be disappointed. My child, listen and be wise. Keep your heart on the right course. Do not carouse with drunkards or feast with glutons, for they are on their way to poverty, and too much sleep clothes them in rags. Listen to your father who gave you life, and don't despise your mother when she is old. Get the truth, and never sell it also get wisdom discipline and good judgment the father of godly children has cause for joy what a pleasure to have children who are wise so give your father and mother joy may she who gave birth to you who gave you birth be happy oh my son give me your heart may your eyes take delight in following my ways a prostitute is a dangerous trap A promiscuous woman is as dangerous as falling into a narrow well. She hides and waits like a robber, eager to make more men unfaithful. Who has anguish? Who has sorrow? Who is always fighting? Who is always complaining? Who has unnecessary bruises? Who has bloodshot eyes? It is the one who spends long hours in the taverns, trying out new drinks. Don't gaze at the wine, seeing how red it is, how it sparkles in the cup, how smoothly it goes down. For in the end, it bites like a poisonous snake. It stings like a viper. You will see hallucinations and you will say crazy things. You will stagger like a sailor, tossed at sea, clinging to a swaying mast. And you will say, they hit me but I didn't feel it. I didn't even know it when they beat me up. When will I wake up so I can look for another drink? Hallelujah. So, our opening question, our icebreaker. When you hear the phrase self-discipline, what comes to mind? So, the question is in two parts. What comes to mind when you hear the phrase self-discipline? then the second part is in what areas of life do you think that you are self disciplined? So who wants to go first? What comes to mind when you hear the phrase self discipline? Good morning and good evening. Good Good evening. How are you? Good. Self discipline to control yourself, control yourself. So for me in the area where I'm self-discipline. I'm self-discipline over my body. Okay. Yeah, over my body. How? Yeah, I don't know teenagers, but okay. Yeah, we get. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> Who else wants to go? Okay. Who else wants to go? Okay, thank
1: you. Good evening, Church. Good evening. Okay, um, I would say willpower. Hmm. Self discipline, willpower. Okay. Then um the area of my life I think um concerning um heinous crimes, for instance. Like um, I have friends that are into this internet fraud and all, you know, um your and sometimes friends. they used to be my friends. Okay. <laughs> Okay, um, and sometimes um, there's a particular guy, a friend of mine, um, he's always like, when we chat on Facebook, he's always telling me that I'm very intelligent, I should come, you know. I'll be able to, you know, to make it through the g thing. So, um, and I think I've been facing, um, during that period, he was introducing me to some some persons and all, and I told yes, him... India. I wasn't interested. Even when I got to school, a friend of mine, mm-hmm. like my classmates too, was into the same internet fraud and was trying to convince me. And also, I think in that area, when it comes to heinous crimes or, and things I know that are, these things, if the world would come, it will come. And it will come in Jesus' name. Yes, it <laughs> will. Praise then, God.
0: Let's, let's clap for him. Thank you for sharing. Okay, so... We are looking at um, some uh, Proverbs 23 in four areas. I think that broadly we can categorize it into four areas. And the first one is um, cultivating self-discipline and yieldedness to the Holy Spirit. The second one is parenting God's way. Then the third one is stinginess versus generosity, and the fourth one is hope and assurance in God. So we're going to start with cultivating self-discipline, which is why we had that question. And thank you to the people who have um, contributed. So self-discipline and yieldedness to the Holy Spirit. And if we look at verses 1 to 3 of um, our anchor scripture we would find that relevant for this topic. And it says that when you are dining with a ruler, pay attention to what is put before you. So we know that um, in this season, one of the words that have gone ahead of us is that a table is set before us. So when a table is set before you, then you are dining. So, and our scripture says that when you are dining with a ruler, you must pay attention to what is put before you. So I want to liken this to your industry, where you're, where you're working, your field of expertise, your career, your businesses. That when the table is set before you, then it means that opportunities have come and doors of influence have opened. And so if this is what is happening, and yes, this is what is happening because that is the word for the season. So we must pay attention to some things. And the Bible tells us that one of the things that we must pay attention to is what is put before us. So if you're paying attention to what is put before you, it means that it is not at the moment when that door of opportunity opens that you will start looking for the things that you need to do the work. So you should have what you need ready. Your, your, so you should be revisiting proposals, proposals, you should be revisiting, revisiting business plans, career progress plans. We should pay attention to what is said before us. Because sometimes, if we're not paying attention, then one might not even know that a door of opportunity has opened. So the, 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 and when that door opens, if you are ready, then you can go in. You're dining with rulers. You're dining with influential persons. They don't have time to waste, so you must be ready, so that you can take opportunities on the go. So, um, Luke fourteen eighteen, it tells us the story about the the people who were invited for a party, and all of them started giving excuses. So it says that they all began to make excuses. So when the table is set before us, it's not when we will start saying, let me go and wash my hands. There are habits, there are character traits that we must have mastered before we get to the point. And so we will be able to sit with the elders and dine. Then the next thing that we need to pay attention to, according to Proverbs 23, 1 to 3, is that... He says, put a knife to your truth. And this doesn't mean that one should kill themselves. It just means that don't be a glutton. Like, don't eat with all ten fingers. So, put a knife to your truth. That's what the Bible says. When you are dining with the people who matter, you need to not be a glutton. It says it can be a trick. It says for they might be trying to trick you. So an, an influential person, a gatekeeper may call you to a meeting, but you may think we're just having lunch, but it may be the interview for your next position. So everything that we do matters. Even when you don't know that you're being watched, you're being observed, and you're being tested. So, and if we look at Daniel 1, 5, and 8, this is when Daniel and his friends were captured and they, they said, oh, uh, the king chose the best of them and wanted to train them for three years. So he assigned them a, uh, no. So here is the story. The king said, let them eat at my table because I want them to be trained. But Daniel and his friend says, no, we're not going to defile ourselves with delicacies from the king's table. We're used to a certain uh, meal. We're used to a certain way of life that we're in a different place. Does not mean we will suddenly change what we're used to. So would you give us permission to eat what we are used to? And they found favor with the chef And he gave them the permission that they needed so that they won't eat unacceptable food. So this just means that there's unacceptable food. In your industry, there will be practices that are common. Everybody is doing it, but it doesn't make it right for you because it is unacceptable food. If Daniel and his friends, if they had eaten that food, they would have become part of the majority. They would have joined forces with everybody. And as Christians were expected to stand out and not to blend in with the wrong practices. So in as much as we're not in people's faces, but we are standing up for what is right and for what is true. Because ultimately, God God is going to provide opportunities for his glory to be shown. So if a person has compromised their standards, then at the point that the opportunities come, they will not have a say. They will, nobody, will even look, nobody will look at them and say, oh, let's ask him or let's ask her. They'll just be like, oh, he's one of us or she's one of us. So I, I think that when it says put a knife to your truth, um, we can interpret that to be that way. But also it can be interpreted to be don't eat too much, literally. And the fact that a person is slim does not mean that they cannot be a gluten, Really. Yes, if somebody has um, weight, then it may be more obvious that or it could be an health problem. But then if somebody is overeating, they should know. So we need to ensure that we're not overeating. And that's what the Bible is saying to us here, that when we sit down to eat, we should not overeat. And you will know if you are. And God will help us so, I, I, wrote, um, I wrote here that you must understand the rules of the game. So, if you're feeling uh, in the gap, what you write there is understand the rules of the game. Not because you want to play like the world, but because you are going to lead in that industry. Don't erode your influence. Then put a knife to your throat. Don't be a glutton who overindulges. Eat too much and worships the God-called self. So not eating too much is not just even about, oh, I want to be healthy. Someone said that if you're eating too much, then something is eating you up. So people use food as an escape. Sometimes someone is bored, they eat. Someone is going through a problem, they eat. There's some issues that are eating you up. Instead of leaning into the Holy Spirit and asking for help, people eat. And so if a person is focusing on eating, rather than digging up the issue and dealing with it with the help of the Holy Spirit, then the person is saying that they are self-sufficient, or they're putting their reliance on food. So when the Bible is telling us that we should put a knife to our throats, like don't overeat, then we can also interpret it this way. And the example that I would love to give is in Numbers, Numbers 11. Shortly after the children of Israel left Egypt, they started to crave the food that they were used to. Even though God was giving them manna, but they were not satisfied. They started to question God, to question Moses. And Moses was frustrated. He said, God, what kind of people are this? So God said to him, Choose seventy elders. I will take from the spirit that is on you, that I've put on you, and I'll put it on them. God was doing something spectacular in that season. But the children of Israel they were too focused on they want meat, they want meat. They couldn't even see what God was doing. And the Bible actually says to us that they rejected God. So in their own mind, they might have felt that they were just wanting good food. But the Bible says that they rejected God. And God didn't find it funny because while the meat was still in their mouth, God dealt with them. So we must make sure that we are not replacing God with food. And you know, our culture is so funny. When you are celebrating, what do we do? We eat. And when somebody is sad or they're depressed or they, they, they've, they still eat. So it's almost like food is solution to everything but that is not the way of God. The way of God is that we put our reliance on God and we don't put our reliance on food. Of course there's scientific explanation for all of this but then we stay with the word of God. We stay with the word of God. Science will tell us that when you eat, there's um, happy hormones that are being released in the body. But what we should also know is that the same hormones can be released when you're exercising or when you're dancing or when you're just spending time with the people you love and do life with. So it is what you choose to use to trigger those hormones that will work for you. So somebody can be binging on chocolate and they feel happy afterwards. But somebody can go for a run and feel happy afterwards. So we we choose what we what we expend our energy on but ultimately we put our reliance on God. God wants to Give you his holy spirit. So if you're filling in the gap, God wants to give you his holy spirit. So stop filling the space in your life with food. And then Proverbs 23 26 says to us that we should give God our, our whole heart. He says, my, my child, give me your whole heart and the light in may your eyes take the light in following my ways. And you know, the Bible says that, <laughs> okay, don't let, me, don't let me go ahead of myself. So God wants us to give him our hearts and he wants our eyes to delight in following his ways. So food is not the solution. The third thing, he says, don't crave the delicacies. We're still on Proverbs 23, 1 to 3. He says, do not crave the delicacies. Which means that there is a possibility that we may want to crave those delicacies. Because if it's not a possibility, then the Bible will not mention it. And that possibility is there because a human being is a human being. There will be cravings, there will be desires. But God is saying, do not crave the delicacies that you see at the table. So we must learn to tame our senses by the spirit of God. We must tame our senses by the spirit of God. And we must allow God to work out his will in us. So if you are feeling, I'm already saying the, I'm already giving you the answers to the, the, the keys. So, if we're going to give our whole heart to God, then we must live a fasted lifestyle. So, it's not just um, we finished fasting. Okay, see you in October. No, there must be consistent. You must consistently live a fasted lifestyle. You must stay there. Stay in the zone. Stay in the zone. and that would be a great antidote to gluttony because when you're spending time with God when you're fixing your eyes on God and delighting in God then you are not going to indulge you're not going to indulge God doesn't want divided loyalties, he wants your spirit he wants your soul, he wants your body God wants your spirit, soul and body We cannot say that, oh, my body, is, um, my body is okay, it's just indulging, but don't worry, my spirit is fine. No, whatever the state of your body is, is reflecting the state of your spirit. In the sense that if you find yourself overeating, then you must check that what's going on in my spirit man what's going on in my spirit man? Am I spending enough time to God? Am I handing over my issues to God? Because your soul, your mind, your thoughts, your feelings, your emotions is going to be influenced either by the spirit of God or by the things that are happening around you. So you must say what am I allowing to influence me? And that's what will determine what is happening in my zone. So we go to Proverbs 23, 29 to 35, but first 20 to 21. 20 to 21 draws um, a parallel between drunkards and glutons. So we've talked about gluttony, And it's easy to say, oh, I don't, I just eat too much. That's all. It's not like I killed anybody. (laughs) But the Bible is telling us that drunkards. People who carouse with drunkards or feast with glutons, they are on their way to poverty. That means the Bible is saying that, look, drunkards and glutons, they are in the same category. Both of them are going to end up poor. So someone that eats too much cannot look at a drunkard and say, oh, you're going to hell. They are in the same category. It says they are on their way to poverty and too much sleep. make them clothed in rags. So, a person that drinks, drinks too much will be poor and will be in rags. So, also, a person that is a glutton. That's what the Bible is saying to us. And in as much as we don't judge people who drink, but we don't drink. And you know. Um, I just know that the Bible says that be filled with the Holy Spirit and not with wine. So that means that you can be filled with both the Holy Spirit and wine at the same time. And that's um, in Ephesians 5:18, Also, 1 Corinthians 6:19 to 20 says that your body is the temple of God. So I've, I find it difficult to envision Um, saying to the Holy Spirit, look, I know my body is your temple, but wait, just give me a few, um, hours. Let me indulge. Let me take some wine and be filled with wine. Then let me come back and be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Bible saying be filled with the Holy Spirit and not with wine. And the church say, okay. Then if we look at Deuteronomy 21, 18 to 21. Okay, if we can skip to 21 itself. Yes, so it said, um, the parents must say, I'm reading 20 now, the parents must say to the elders, this son of ours is stubborn and rebellious and refuses to obey. He's a glutton and a drunkard. Do you see how the Bible is categorizing gluttony and drunkenness together again? And it's also saying that this son is stubborn and rebellious. So, it means that um, if you're filling in the gap, it will say drunkenness is the physical manifestation of pride, stubbornness, and rebellion. So, it means that if someone is given to drunkenness or gluttony, then there is pride in there. And there's stubbornness and rebellion. And you know, Papi taught us uh, during... um, in Fresh Fire last week that it takes humility to ask God for what you need. So if a person is not asking God for what they need and they are drowning their sorrows in bottle or in food, then that means the person is proud. So there's pride in there. And there's stubbornness. You know, when the, the thing that is made says to the maker, what, what have you made? Or what are you doing? So, there's stubbornness there and there's rebellion there. So, it's not just, oh, it's a vice. There's much more there. And um, I think it's First Corinthians 6 again, 9 to 10, that says that they will not inherit the kingdom of God. And the Bible talks about drunkards and talks about greedy people, that they will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. So, moving on to the second thing, the second theme that is mentioned in Proverbs 23, and it is parenting God's way. So, if we look at verses 12 and verse 19, verse verse 12 and 19, it says, commit yourself to instruction, listen carefully to words of knowledge, my child, listen and be wise Keep your heart on the right course. So I know that we have lots of children participating in pride, and that's exciting. So, children, this verse is for you that you should listen to instruction and you should commit yourself to obeying. Because if you listen, then you will not be disciplined as often. Because once you master a particular thing, that you have been told to do, then you will not be punished for that thing. You will not be disciplined for that thing or corrected for it again because you have mastered it. So, fulfilling in the gap, listen and obey instruction. If a child applies his heart to listen and obey instruction, then the parent will have no reason to continue to discipline that child. Also, on the side of parents, we must commit to consistently... Train and discipline. Honestly, I feel that a lot of parents actually discipline, but consistency is a major issue. So the child does something wrong today, you beat them or you punish them, you correct them. But they do it next week and you're like, whoa, I'm busy right now. Then they do it again, you punish you discipline. So it, it's confusing even for the child. The child knows they shouldn't do it but they also know that they get away with it sometimes. So they do it and hope that they will get away with it this time around. But if we are consistent in disciplining, in disciplining our children, then they will master what we are teaching them and everybody will be happy. So we are to discipline a child so he or she can learn Self discipline as a tool for adulthood. So, you know, we're talking about self discipline. Um, examples have been given of areas that we're disciplined in. And I know for every one of us, there's an area of life that you're like, look, I've mastered this one. But there will also be an area where you're like, I'm struggling here and I need help. As parents, what we should do for our children is help them to learn self-discipline. So when we keep disciplining them and teaching them what to do, you are actually putting in them a trait that they will use in their adult's life. And that's why the Bible will say that train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. So we have to... Um, God said of Abraham that he knows that he will bring up his children and his household... In the way of the Lord, so and we we are seeds of Abraham. We are partaking in the covenant blessings of Abraham. So we should also learn the the, the characters, the habits that made uh, that endeared Abraham to God, and we should do the same thing, be like Abraham, our father. So, um, verse twenty-three. Get the truth and sell it not. Never sell it. Also get wisdom, get discipline, and good judgment. And you know, this part, I find it very, I take it very personal. It says, get the truth and never sell it. What is the truth? Or rather, who is the truth? If you're filling in the gap it is jesus christ is the truth jesus says i am the way the truth and the life i'm the way the truth and the life no one comes to the father but by me so if the bible is saying to us get the truth and do not sell it then it means get jesus get the truth and jesus is the i mean jesus is the word of god so it's the truth. So if you want to find out the truth in, the, in, in God, then you should study the word of God. And not just study it, you should. You should own it. And that is how we, we can get the truth and not sell it. So it's not abstract. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus is the word of life. So you want to find out the truth, then you should check the word of God. And every other thing is a lie. And you know, there's a lot of things that can stand in our faces and be saying, look, I'm the truth. I'm your truth. But we should be able to stand back and say, no, you are not my truth. This is what the word of God has said concerning me. And we should hold on to that until we see it come to pass. Because that is the truth. So Jesus Christ is the truth. So wisdom. It also says get wisdom and I'm happy to tell you that Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God. So can we look at 1 Corinthians 1 24? But to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. So Jesus Christ is not just the truth, he is also the wisdom of God. And if we get this, then life will not just be much more easier. Life will just make perfect sense. It says it in the Bible, Jesus Christ is the power and the wisdom of God. If we look at Proverbs 8, Proverbs 8 tells us that wisdom is is shouting in the streets. And then it, 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 it tells us that Wisdom says that, look, I was there at the beginning. I was there when God was creating everything. I was a co-creator with God. I was an architect with God before the mountains were formed, before this was made, before that was made, I was there. So, Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God. He was there at the beginning, before creation. So, if we get Jesus, that means we have the wisdom of God. And if we have the wisdom of God, that means we can create in our lives. That means we're not victims of circumstances or situation. You should be able to look at anything that you're going through or wherever you are at the moment and say, no, I'm not a victim. I have Christ. I have the wisdom of God. I will use my mouth to create what I want to see in line with the word of God. That is it has to happen. It has to happen. So if you're filling in the gap, wisdom collapses the time between the promise and its fulfilment. The promise and its fulfilment. And between the prophecy and its manifestation. You know, sometimes the prophecies that are hanging over your head and you're like, when will it come to pass? When will it come to pass? And we have been told that Kairos and Kronos they have merged. So, the set time has come. It takes wisdom to be able to understand exactly the, the, the specifics of this set time in your own life. And to be able to apply it. So, you have the wisdom of God already. If you have Christ, if you have accepted Christ into your life, then you already have the wisdom of God so, that wisdom of God is going to fast track your prophecies into fulfillment because the Bible says you will hear a voice behind you saying, This is the way, walk in it. So, the Holy Spirit is literally going to be giving you the next steps to take, and as you take them, you will just find yourself coming into the opportunities that God has spoken about that you will have. So, if as a Christian, we cannot do without the wisdom of God. And sometimes we feel that, oh, I need more than twenty-four hours in a day. Oh, my life is full. I'm this. I'm that. Honestly, what we need is wisdom, because wisdom will show you how to plan. It will show you what to do, what to cut out, what to in, in, include in your life. There, are, there are friends for seasons. There are activities for different seasons. And if you have the wisdom of God, you are constantly asking the Holy Spirit, what do I do? Then it's going to tell you what to do per season. And life is going to be easier. So, how do you get discipline? Because, you know, that verse told us, get discipline, get wisdom, get good judgment. So, how do you get discipline? The first way that you can get discipline is through godly parenting. Discipline should come through godly parenting. And as I said earlier, if we train up our children, then they will be disciplined when they grow up. So if we were fortunate to have great parents, godly parents, then you are probably disciplined. But then there's also the fact that if you're already old, grown, The discipline must come by yieldedness to the Holy Spirit. We are all in the school of the Spirit. If you are a Christian, the Holy Spirit wants to school you. But you have a will. So you can actually decide how fast you move through the levels, the classes. And... If we really want discipline, as the Bible is saying, get discipline, then you must be willing to yield to the Holy Spirit teaching you and saying, look at this. Change this behavior. Stop doing this. Start doing this. Do you think this is right? How should you? you? know, the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He's not going to foist himself on us. But if he sees that we are willing, the Bible says if we're willing and obedient, we will eat the good of the land. So if the Holy Spirit sees that you are taking correction, you are willing, then he will continue to teach and to tell us what to do. And as we do it, we will see that we have become disciplined. We have become disciplined. The things that we used to do, we don't do them anymore. And that is the road to maturing in God and spiritual growth. Then it says, get good judgment. Good judgment is discernment. Discernment, you know the right thing to do. You can assess a situation and say, this, this is the right, this is the wrong. And the Bible says you must get that. And that is also given by the Holy Spirit. So we cannot do without the Holy Spirit. You see why we cannot be filled with any other thing or any other person except the Holy Spirit. Because it's the one that will walk you into a situation and say, you know what, act this way or don't act that way. He sees everybody's minds. He knows what is going on in everybody's hearts. We don't, but he can tell us, he can show us. And as we yield to him and allow him to lead us, then he will lead us out of dangerous situations out of life-threatening issues, out of things that can set us back and it can lead us into the glorious future that he has for us, into, the, into our places of authority, into the places that we should have dominion. Then verses um, 15 and 16, verses 24 and 25, they talk about the joy of a parent, the joy of the parents whose children... Are obedient whose children are wise whose children are godly it says my child if your heart is wise my own heart will rejoice i personally don't believe that there's anybody that that is too old to have people that um, they're submitted to so if um this verse is saying that my child if your heart is wise that means that the people that you're submitted to the Authorities over us must be able to say, if your heart is wise, then their own heart will rejoice. So we should not be a grief. We should not bring grief to our spiritual parents and to our physical parents. Because when they see wisdom in us, then their hearts rejoice. Which means that when they don't see wisdom in us, then their heart is not happy. And it says, everything in me will celebrate when you speak what is right. So you're speaking what is right or you're doing what is right does not affect just you. It affects people around you in, in, in the way you are perceived, in the way um, you are reacted to. Because, I mean, we look at children. If they do well, you, you're just happy. You're just happy, so we must learn to see ourselves too as children and think of the people that will be happy when we are doing the right things. And it, it says, "What a pleasure to have children who are wise." So we should give our parents joy, give your father and mother joy, but she will give birth to you, will give birth to you. Be happy. And I I, I would like to say that this is the way to trigger generational wealth flow. Because when your parents, your physical or spiritual parents are happy, then they will bless you. And then you will have your generational wealth flow. We must not um, despise, we must not despise what is ahead of us. God is a God of generations there's really nothing new. There's really nothing new. If God is doing something in you, he has started it in, in someone. So you must, you must, we must be. We must just calm down and be children if we have to. When we have to. So that we can. Partake in the generational wealth flow. And I believe that the wealth flow does not speak just to finances. I believe that it also speaks to spiritual gifts and other things in God. That's what I believe. So, we move on to the third thing. We said that there are four things, four things that this um, chapter talks about. So, moving on to the third theme. Uh, Verses 23, no, sorry. Verses 6 to 8. It says, don't eat with people who are stingy. Don't desire their delicacies. They are always thinking about how much it costs. Eat and drink, they say, but they don't mean it. You will throw up what little you've eaten. And your compliments will be wasted. Mm. So we have a question there. And it's What is your experience with stingy people? Do you know any stingy person? And what has your experience be, been? We see what the Bible has said about them, but what has your experience been? Who wants to go? Who wants to go? Or, what do you just even think about stingy people? Or, we all have people who are not stingy around us. <laughs> okay, I guess we move on. Okay, so the Bible is telling us that if you sit down with a stingy person and he's saying to you, eat, eat, you must be careful. So that you will not throw up what you have eaten. Because a stingy person will say eat, but it's counting every muscle that you take. There was a joke that I saw. Somebody said that eating eating suya with a person with another with another person, and you were not the one that bought the suya, that it is one of the most stressful things. <laughs> because she will wait until the person picks one, then pick, you, she picks one, then she doesn't know whether she should pick onions next, so, <laughs> so that she doesn't look, it doesn't look like, ah, wait, be where I buy myself. <laughs> so, <laughs> so if I be saying that, if you're eating with stingy people, hmm, be very careful. But the deeper lesson that I would love to pick out of this, is that you should let God lead you to your sponsors, and your mentors. You know, oftentimes, we see people and we're like, I just want to be like this person. I just want to Who can connect me. We start looking around. We start trying to get across to them, to reach out to them. But we should just let God lead us to the people who will feed us because he is faithful to do that. If we try to do it on our own, then it's... It doesn't, it doesn't end well, honestly. Because you may get that connection and the person may appear stingy because there's no connection. You've gotten the connection, you've seen the person, but there's no connection. So the person is just looking at you like, yes, what do you want? Ask any question. That's eat all you can. Eat everything you want. But even you you are thinking, ah, I'm not sure that this person will really answer also, I think that if we use, if we intercede, we, so, so if God is putting people in your heart and saying this person, that person, if you intercede for that relationship, for yourself, for them, I think it will lessen the distance. I think it will reduce the distance and the connection can happen. So we need to just be reliant on God to lead us to our people And uh, if you're filling in the gap, it says that the same king that beheaded the chief baker made Joseph a second in command. So in Genesis 40, Joseph had already said to the chief, uh, the cup bearer that, you know, I've helped you. In fact, the Bible says that he did not bother talking to the chief baker because he knew that the guy was going to die. But he went to the cupbearer and said, you know, I've helped you. When you get to the palace, please remember me. But did the guy remember him? No. Not until there was a need. Not until God orchestrated things and said it was. Joseph's time. So, don't be in a hurry to connect But when God says, oh yeah, it is time, then you should take the necessary steps. Because at the point when Joseph uh, needed to interpret the king's dream, he did what he had to do. And God used that to put him in his place of authority. So the Holy Spirit will lead us and we will yield in Jesus' name. And verse 9 says that, Don't waste your breath on fools, for they will despise the wisest advice. So, it is possible that a person has looked at a situation and said, Look, this person didn't take previous advices. Why should I waste my breath? And then the advisee is saying she's stingy or is stingy. So, there are two ways to look at these things. If you're the person asking for advice and it looks like the other person is stingy with the advice, ask yourself, have I heeded previous advice? Because the Bible says, don't waste your breath on fools who despise wise advice. So if uh, the person is withholding, you should ask yourself, honestly, human beings, we like to gather people around us that will say, well, eh, sorry, sorry, sorry. But after the sorry, if it's a godly person that is talking to you advising you a wise person they will give you the next steps and it will resonate with what the Holy Spirit is telling you so you should do it you shouldn't go for a month or two weeks or three weeks and then come back and be looking for Pelé again yes we would be there for ourselves but there will be a word for breaking out of that season and when you get that word take it and go and implement it so that when you are coming back you're saying look i have implemented what you said the last time and this is where i'm at what next and that is how we will not be perceived as unwise people generosity is a kingdom principle luke 6:38 generosity is a kingdom principle so we always say give and it will be given back to you. Full measure, press down, shaking together, make room for more. But it also says that the amount you give will determine the amount you get back. So it says in the same measure that you give, you will receive. So are you giving? Are you pouring out into other people? Or you are just expecting to be poured into? So generosity, and it's not, this is not just about money. So uh, we have been taught before that you must have relationships ahead of you and you must have people that you are also pouring into. And that is the way of the kingdom. If someone offers you a favor, weigh the option. Ask the question, what's the need for them? What's the need for this person? You should enter relationships. You should enter um, alliances with your eyes wide open so that um, you're not entering into a stingy relationship and they're counting the muscles into your mouth. And um, verse 7, we should believe a person's action more than their words. So it says that this person will say, eat, eat all you can, but they don't really mean it. So when somebody is behaving, you should believe their actions more than their words because they can be saying something else. Another version of this verse says, as a man thinks... So he, as, the, as he thinks so he is that stingy person so you must, behave, you must believe what he is doing and not just what he is saying so we are going to rush and just take a, a, a bit of the fourth part which says hope and assurance and verse 17 says don't envy sinners always continue to fear the lord don't envy sinners because you don't have the full picture you don't know what has gone on underneath you don't know what they're going through i believe that anything that is not from god any wealth any abundance that is any wealth that is not from god it brings sorrow because the bible says that it is only the blessings of the lord that it is only the lord that blesses without adding sorrows to it also you should not envy sinners because you have a hope and you have future The Bible says in Matthew 19, 29, that Peter was asking the Lord Jesus, he said, what about us? We have left everything for you. And Jesus said, look, you have your reward here and you have it in the world to come. You must believe with everything in you that you will have your reward here and in the world to come. You must know it. You must expect it. And you must rejoice over it while you're waiting for it. So, You should not envy sinners because you fear and reverence God. So you will not be in doubt when the abundance comes. And the story that is there is 2 Kings 7. And we're not going to read it. You can read it when you get home. And it's the story of that servant that was doubting when Elisha said, Look, by this time tomorrow, there will be abundance of food. And it will be sold for so-so amount. And that servant was doubting. Because he didn't didn't fear God. Because if he feared God, he would know that God can do anything. So he was trampled in the abundance because he didn't believe. So you should not envy sinners because you will believe and you will have the fear and reverence of God. And the fourth reason why you must not envy sinners is because that which God gives you, it will not fizzle away. It will not go away. And it will not cause you to burn out. Because it is the blessings of the Lord that makes rich and adds no sorrow to it. Verses 10 and 11 talks about the the defenseless. Don't cheat your neighbor. Don't move the ancient boundary marks. Because defenseless orphans, their redeemer is strong. And he himself will bring their charges against you. So, even the defenseless orphans themselves might look at it and say, look, I'm defenseless. But the Bible is saying to us that they have a redeemer and he is strong. So whether you are feeling, whether you are in the position of someone that can take advantage of people or you are feeling, taking advantage of, you must know that, look, even if I feel defenseless, I have a defender and I have a redeemer and he will fight for me. But if you believe that, then you must stand on it and you must ask for it, and you must lay a claim on it so that you can see it. So, I would, um, we can read that story at home, the story in Second Kings 8 1 to 6. And it is just basically the Shunammite woman coming back and saying, Look, this thing is mine, I want it back. And fortunately for her, Elisha's servant was there, and he confirmed that, Look, this woman was with Elisha, and she helped. So what are the things that you are putting, what are the seeds that you are sowing in God's house that when the time comes for you to be remembered, that they will be brought up? So as we, I'm going to leave um, the other lessons for us to go and um, study because of time. But I'll take the last two um, sentences. And it says that willpower is not the solution. Willpower in itself does not do anything. Walking by the Spirit is the only way we can remain standing. So it is not just by self-discipline in itself. Galatians 5.16 You must be able to walk by the Spirit so that you do not fulfill the desires of the flesh. And we must choose to become sons who are led by the Spirit. It says let the Holy Spirit guide your lives so you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. So it's not, I'm strong, I'm strong, I can do it, I can, I can stand. It is, look, let the Holy Spirit guide you so that you won't do the things that the sinful nature craves. And finally, Romans 8, 14. It says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God, they are the children of God. So am I led by the Spirit of God? Do I obey instantly? Do I obey fully and completely if I do, then I'm led by the Spirit of God. Because as we have been taught again and again, with God, it's about last instruction. So if we obey the last instruction, then we will know the next thing to do. We will be told the next thing to do. So, and if we obey, then we will see unraveling right before our eyes something that we could never have imagined something that we could never have attained by ourselves because the master script is in, is with God so just obeying and being led by the spirit is just saying god what is inside your master script just be showing me line by line so that i can align and then one day you're standing at the climax of it the beautiful place of it all and you may not even be able to say every line that led you there, but you will know that you, are, you were totally reliant on the Holy Spirit and you didn't get here by your own power. And God will help us in Jesus' name. So as we close our eyes to pray, let us take a moment to tell God about what we have heard and to commit to God To obey, to be led by the Spirit, and to do everything that the Spirit wills us to do so that we will not obey sinful nature, that God will have His full way with us, that the Holy Spirit will wear us like clothes. And our lives will be totally sold out to God.
1: Thank you for listening to this. I want to encourage you to share this resource with your family and friends. God bless
0: you. <laughs>